Welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second, and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Maximum Octane, the Kim Hickey, your host here. As usual, and as I get to start out every show, is by saying I am super excited about my guest today, and I get to be super excited because I get to pick my guests, so it's a pretty good pretty good gig there. So I keep telling everybody that Richard, if, if they don't hear me say I'm super excited, then that, that, that means something. <laughs> that means something. So joining me today is one of my friends and colleagues, Mr. Richard Sharman. And one of the things that I just love about him is his accent. So besides all of his brains and knowledge and all of those things, he just talks awesome, and I wish I had an accent like his. How are you today? Kim, I'm great, thank you. You get that accent from like a Kroger's or a Bash's. It's like a paste. You just rub it on your chest, and next thing you know, you got a good one. That would be so wonderful. I just wish I had. I've worked for so many years to get rid of my New York and the New Jersey accent to, to speak like that as um and it, and is the minute I speak with somebody from either state, I am way back in the thick of the the accent. Does that happen with you, Richard, when you talk to somebody from where you grew up? Oh, absolutely. And it's surprising how it just kind of dissipates over time. You don't realize it's happening because you want to you want to be able to communicate. So the words that you hear yourself saying, you change them so that you can just be part of the group, just wanted to be part of everything. But when I talk to my brothers, or especially when I go home, yeah, it gets a lot stronger. Or a couple of pints on a Friday night will do it too. There's that. There's that. There's How about that. when you're tired? When I'm tired or mad, I'm told that you can really hear my my accent too. All right. Well, that being said, you'll have to do your best impression of me another another day. So <laughs> topic that's very near and dear to me right now, not only because of the industry we're in, but where I'm living right now, what's going on and is insurance. And I am shocked at how much I didn't know about my insurance policies. Luckily for me, I kind of always overinsure. People always tell me that I don't need that much. I don't need that much. I don't need. And by golly, I am so glad for this situation that I'm in right now that I am sort of what people would consider overinsured um, because it it's probably still not enough of what should have been insured, but but it's it's a start. And so 
in these conversations, whether you're talking to somebody on a business side, on a personal side, whether you're the policy holder or you're doing work for somebody that's a policy holder, there's so many things. There's so many questions. There's so many loopholes. There's just all of that. Yeah. And Kim, you actually hit on a very, very valid point right up front. How do we judge ourselves as to whether we are overinsured or underinsured? For the most part, we put it into dollars and cents. You know, what coverage do I have here? What's the total amount of dollars that I have on this particular uh, coverage for whether it be a homeowner's or a bow or an automobile? Uh, the dollars and cents are what jump out as, and we wriggle our little hands, and I've got my 100000 or my $1 million umbrella. Not so fast. You need to read your policy. What exclusions are in that policy? What limits of liability are in that policy that you need to be aware of before you start to put that $1 million umbrella or that $100,000 coverage into your back pocket? And not many of us really take a look at those policies. So we skim through them to your point. Well, good golly. I mean, the print is so tiny and you kind of just trust. <laughs> And I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but you know how excited I get and a thought pops in my head. But I'm hearing right now from so many people in our neighborhood Facebook groups and all of it that, well, I trusted my agent and I told my agent to give me everything I would need. And then I find out I don't have it. So they're they're kind of blaming their agent right now. And then they're blaming the insurance company. But really, the responsibility lies upon yourself, doesn't it? I mean, it's not. Yeah, absolutely. It does, Kim. And for the most part, unless you're very familiar with your agent, who's really selling that policy? The agent or the administrative staff? And I don't know how many of us actually have direct contact with our agent. Some, there's no doubt. But I, I would imagine the vast majority of us have brief contact with the agent and the rest of it's done by the administrative staff that builds that policy for you. Uh, and yeah, to your very point, if we're signing it. It's up to us to know exactly what's contained within that contract, whether it's small print or big and bold. Yeah. For example, here right now, people are shocked at what their deductibles are. And a lot of them didn't realize how high their deductible was or that a different set of deductibles kicked in if it was a named storm. Yeah. On, on your homeowners or your property, there, there are so many different pieces of exclusions. There are overlaying um, types of addendums that are in those policies. You've got to read them. You've got to know them. Whether a deductible can be stackable or whether it's not stackable, uh, whether your coverage can be stackable or it's not stackable. What is the small print? What does it really tell you? And quite frankly, for the most part, when it comes to property, homeowners, uh, type of insurance policies, you almost need an attorney to take a look at it. Well, I think for the vehicle ones too, and that's a lot of people were saying that what they thought was covered on their vehicle wasn't. The insurance company is telling them they can have one kind of part and the wherever the collision shop that they took the vehicle to, or some cases it's mechanical if the vehicle got flooded and, you know, whatever with there was engine damage. But the businesses they're taking their vehicles to are saying, listen, this is going to cost, I'm making up a number, $5,000. Your deductible is $7,000 or it, you know, it, whatever, even if it does fall under the deductible and you're going to use your insurance, if the amount makes sense, right? Because a lot of people are like, it doesn't even make sense to put it on my insurance because the deductible is so high. 
But if it's not and you're going to use your insurance, the repair places are telling the, the consumers, listen, your insurance won't cover this. This has to be taken care of. Your insurance won't cover it. So you have now over and above your deductible somewhere out of pocket because the insurance won't cover this item. Yeah, Kim, a, a whole can of worms there. I'm not an underwriter by any means, but I certainly understand the principles and the guidelines that uh, install underwriting into a policy. So let's break it down real quick. Uh, At-fault or non-at-fault losses. For the most part, comprehensive losses are coded as a not-at-fault loss. Now, I preface that because if you have a whole series of similar comprehensive losses, that could certainly impact the underwriting guideline as to what your premiums are going to be. But let's keep it simple. A non-at-fault loss is primarily a comprehensive loss, which is can be anything based on how the policy wants to determine it. But let's say it's a non-moving uh, item, such as a fire or a flood in your particular case. Um, it gets a little bit more complicated when you hit something like an animal. That's a comprehensive loss. Or something falls on it. Could they be don't a consider that loss. collision when you hit an animal? Uh, no, that's comprehensive. But if you hit a human or a pedestrian, that's collision. Most policies will define it that way. But to, uh, to your earlier point, it's always good to have a claim set uh, because you never know where it's going to end up. Even if the initial estimate is $5,000 to your point and you've got a $7,000 deductible, set the claim. If it's a comprehensive loss, it's not going to impact you in most areas and most policies and most insurance companies to have a comprehensive no-fault loss. If something else happens during the course and the uh, scope of the repair process or even down the road where it now uh, exceeds your deductible, You've got the claim set. It's there to back you up and be in place for you, plus there's a record of it. So, so um, I didn't think of that. So if you have, let's just use a $5,000 deductible because that seems to be pretty popular where I am and the people I'm speaking with. And if you don't claim it because the repairs are $7,000 and it's not worth it and blah, blah, then in a few months later, if you have another incident, then that deductible from the first time would have counted against... If you if you said it is what you're saying. Yeah, not only that, but if you read your policy, you've got to do to go ahead and alert the insurance company. Here's the biggest problem there, Kim. If you take care of damages prior to, and even if they're done uh, and everything's performing fine, what have you done? You've essentially destroyed evidentiary preservation. So if you go to set a claim now on something that you've already done the repairs, you've got no documentation for it, you've got no supports for it. The chances are that you're not going to be able to get that second claim through because you've destroyed the evidence that uh, precipitated the additional kind of damages. Now, again, case by case, but be very, very careful with taking on a repair before you set the claim because if it does go sideways on you or it ends up being uh, an exceed deductible, you've destroyed the basic uh, principles of your duties within that policy, and your duties within the policy are to alert the insurance company in the event of a loss. So, so many times I hear people say, I'm not going to report that. I'm just going to pay for it myself. I don't want my rates to go up. 
that's not a good idea for obvious reasons. You just laid that out, but it, I never gave it a thought that it could hurt future claims of, of all of that stuff. So, wow. Okay. Good to know. And I just said, so like four times, so we can laugh about that later. <laughs> I, I'm keeping I track. I got a little clicker. I'm keeping track. You should keep track because no one should say that so many times. Okay. So now let's flip the, the script a little bit. I'm a consumer big palm tree fell on my car, knock on wood, hopefully that doesn't happen. I go to the collision shop. They say, Kim, this is going to be $3,000. And then, you know, you need this, this, and this, here's your itemization, but you need these other things here to, in our professional opinion, to make it right and to do the job well. And your insurance company is refusing to pay for it. So you're going to have extra out-of-pocket costs to cover that. What do I do then? All right. Let me back you up real quick. I know the point you're going to, but let me back you up. Whose palm tree is it? Yours or your neighbor's? Yours. That'll be Let's simple. go in mine. Okay. All right. Okay. We've got Because that's vehicle. another thing. I just learned if your palm tree falls on somebody else's property, it's their problem, not yours. I didn't know. Uh, I that took can, care of my very stuff. state by state, Kim. It is, but in Florida, there's a whole thing that the county gave us a, a, a thing. And if it falls on half my property and half theirs, it's it's half and half our problem. I didn't do that because I did have some trees fall in neighbor's yard and I took care of it because I think that's okay. crazy. But Yeah, Florida is a little bit of a different state. And most of the time they do have to take care of your own, but uh, you'd need to think about a negligent component. Uh, the tree, why did it fall? Was it... Um, uh, was it rotten? Was it rotten for a while? How long can we um, identify that it was a rotten was rotten and in need of uh, some type of service or maintenance before the fall? So th that's another conversation. But back to your point. Back to your point. So my palm uh, tree fell on my car. Okay, yeah. So you're at the shop, um, and uh, there's a preliminary estimate written by the insurance company. Good so far. Yes. Okay. And, and the shop says, hey, um, Tom, Dick and Harry's insurance company, we need all these other items to make sure the vehicle is returned to a pre-accident condition and within the guidelines of your state and federal and OEM safety guidelines. Good? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's where the fight comes in. Um, and that's where knowing your policy, first of all, what are the different things that are needed? And are they excluded within your policy, such as an OEM part? Some policies, auto policies, will carry an exclusion in it that says they have the right to utilize aftermarket or recycled parts. And that's uh, where you need to know what your policy is before your shop goes to bat for you and sends out a list of additional items that are needed and then tries to support them. And your claim adjuster comes up with a statement that's in your policy that says, hey, we have the right to do this. So there's got to be communication between you and the shop and understanding of your policy first before you go ahead and start throwing those pebbles in the proverbial china shop. But for the most part, uh, the insurance companies will reject or push back. They won't deny unless you get it in a formal documentation. So they'll reject your shop and tell them, that, you know what, we don't use this, or that's not in your local marketplace, or, but all they're doing is giving you lip service. Um, we used to chase our tails as a repair shop, whether it be collision or mechanical, or for that matter, a property repair uh, contractor, to try and prove to the insurance companies what we need. That's changed, or it's changing. The insurance industry needs to tell us why they can't do 
what we're asking to do. And for the most part, they can't do it. So whose responsibility is that? Should I expect that the place I bring my vehicle to, to call the insurance company and argue for me and know my policy inside and out? Or is that... Something yeah, I Kim, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, and there's uh, there's two different paths here. One is that the insurance company will do it to a point as a part of customer service for you. Others will completely wash their hands of it, let you know that this is the bill. This is what it's going to be. And then you need to take that up with your insurance company and negotiate or argue it. So there are two different avenues that are out there right now, two different trains of thoughts, insurance uh, shops that, quite frankly, have gotten really tired of fighting this fight, uh, putting it right back on the customer to know their policy and to go ahead and fight for their own repair um, with the insurance company. I'll give you an example right now because it's popping in my head of my the roof. We had to get the roofs tarped, right? And so... Mm-hmm. Talked to my adjuster and they said, whatever roofer you can get there, we can send somebody. I don't know what when that's going to be. And then there was another storm, pretty bad storm coming up on the radar. So he said, if you find somebody local you trust, has good reviews, use them. So I did. And this this roofing company has very good reviews. And they said, yes, we're happy to tarp the roof for you. And we would like for you to do the roof with us. And we deal with everything. We make we take the pictures before we put the tarp. We'll deal with the insurance company. We'll do all of that. And they said that the insurance company is always going to the first estimate, the first whatever, say this doesn't need this or try to kind of skimp or do whatever. And he said, you don't have to worry about that because we're on your side now and we will fight. And they said they have very expensive software that does line by line by line exactly how many nails need to be in a thing. I don't know anything about the roofing business, what kind of mm-hmm. tar and paper and and all of that. But they said they they will that you really need somebody to advocate for you, advocate for you. But then I'm like, OK, that sounds great. But then who the heck is my advocate for the roofing company? Like if <laughs> so, it's like this vicious circle of who the heck do you trust? Who do you think has your best interest in mind? And it's, it can be very confusing. So what are some of the things that people should look for in their vehicle policy or make sure that is not in their vehicle policy? Yeah, that's, that's tough because you don't know what you don't know. Um, just understanding the policy as best you can, even if, or before you have an event, just understand what it's trying to tell you. And if you need help with interpretation, if you have an agent, that's the person to go to. If it's an online policy, then you kind of have to try and work your way through it. That particular scenario that you brought up, Kim, is a very, very good scenario. With the, the It sounds to me like the contractor um, is very much in touch with the industry and understands what's going on. They have a matrix, as does the insurance company, on what needs to be done under certain circumstances with certain types of materials for the building. Um, Very similar to a PDR company, a paintless dent repair company that handles hail. 
There's a matrix that they follow depending on the size and location of the damages. So very much like your contractor, it sounds to me like if that's the one presenting themselves, the only thing you need to do is do a little research ahead of time, vet them before you go ahead and bring them in, even though it's an emergency situation. You did, I think you did it already. You mentioned that you went ahead and checked them. They had really good reviews. They had great reviews. And I, yeah, so I, so here's the kicker to that. The plot thickens after the tarp got up and I said, I would like, I felt comfortable with this company to be handling the roofing things because of other people that have used them in the past and Mm -hmm. pre-hurricane. Somebody else came to my house and they were the roofing company. And I said, well, who are you? And they knew my name. They knew my everything about things and more than just would be online, I think. And they are with my insurance company and the, I forgot the initials. I don't know if you'll know if I'm saying it right, but it's like OTR or something, RT something. But my company is Olympus Insurance that I'm insured with. And apparently somewhere in the policy buried in the 100,000 pages of fine print is that they have the right to repair and use their own contractors without your say that that that's they get mm-hmm. to choose and not you so now i don't know what's going to happen with this first roofing company the the roofing company is telling me that they can't do that but in florida apparently they can with it but i did not know that they had that clause and even the adjuster that said go ahead and hire whoever mm-hmm. didn't say listen you can hire whoever you want for the tarping but we have this OTR program or whatever the heck it's called yeah. to, to fix it first. So when people are looking at their policy for the automobiles and you said to get comfortable with them, talk to your agent, there's just, you could read that all day, I'm, I think, and be at a loss. So is there words to look for that it's, it's replacement and not current value or things like that, that they could look for to make sure? Yeah, the key things I would take a look at, first of all, your exclusions that are in that policy, uh, any limits of liability um, that applies to just the first party coverage and also what you're responsible for if you get into an accident. Read the exclusions, read the limits of liability, and then get down into what the insurance company can do. And it just takes just reading it, there's no particular area uh, because they are spread out, uh, Kim, um, whether it's designed that way or not. The information is spread out and it just takes maybe two or three times to read it. Um, certainly look for parts, look for phrases or things like OEM or aftermarket, um, recycled. And I, you to- know, that recycled thing, we had somebody, do you remember the Ford Tauruses, how they were notorious for the CV boots tearing? We had somebody come in, they had a aftermarket insurance company to my shop and we quoted out, we knew what it was and had a kit built because there were so many of them coming in. Yep. And the insurance company called and said, you have to use a junkyard CV boot. And I said, I am not doing that. I'm not, I don't care what. And so I, I brought in the, the customer and I said, here's what they want me to do. And these are known to wear out in mm-hmm. 20,000 miles, 30,000 miles. It the same, and we don't know, you know, if you get one off a used car in the junkyard, it's going to go bad probably right away. But I couldn't believe it for something like that, a rubber boot. They wanted 
yeah. to use a used one. So that would kind of be in that recycled. Yeah, but what's so scary, uh, Kim, is nowadays, look how many vehicles do get repaired with aftermarket items. You're not guaranteed if it says recycled, everybody thinks, oh, hey, I'm getting a Ford part or a, or a Chevrolet part. Uh, a lot of times, um, our shops are getting recycled parts, and once that part arrives, it's got certa cap of certified inside with the sticker on it, which means it's not an OEM part; it's an aftermarket part. Uh, and to your point, um, those boots, those CV, uh, anything suspension can be rebuilt. Um, doesn't mean you're getting an OEM recycled part. And anything to do with the suspension or the steering, as far as I'm concerned, is a safety item. It was it crazy. Anything, I, I thought they were. I thought they were kidding me. I thought no. they were kind of joking, trying to, you know, have some humor. <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. So, what yeah. about on the other end? Because as a consumer, you need to know what your policy is. You need to spend time with it now before something happens and you use mm-hmm. it. Probably like anything else you have in your life, if there's any line in there that you don't understand, you need to highlight it and make an appointment with your agent. I have a wonderful agent, but what about on the business owner side? If you own a shop, mechanical or collision, and the insurance company says you must use a used CV boot or whatever, what are your rights as the the shop owner to say listen i'm i'm not going to do that yeah you're absolutely within your right to do it, it comes down to uh, risk management i mean how much of your business and yourself and your personal assets do you want to put on the line for a, an item that you don't believe is going to be roadworthy or puts a vehicle back into a like kind and condition prior to the uh, to the loss uh, you have a right to deny it. Now, um, when you have a policy that says they can do something and you've got a mission, vision and values that says I can do something, it comes down to simply one thing, customer. Hey, Kim, what do you want to what do you want to do here? This is the right thing. And quite frankly, even if you tell me to do it, I can't because of the risk management. Um, So there's going to be a cost to you. And you can't even go down the road of getting a waiver of liability from the insurance company because ultimately, as a repairer, you're the expert. You're the one doing the repair. The insurance company is just the one doing the adjustment on it. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I see so many times at shops and other businesses that somebody will send something out in a dangerous condition or cut something off that shouldn't be or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, no, I had the customer sign a waiver. And it's like that waiver does not mean a thing. It doesn't no. mean a thing. You're telling somebody sign a waiver, you know that their vehicle is not safe or their house or their boat or whatever it is. That waiver doesn't mean anything. You're not relieved of your liability. No, you can take that waiver when you take your dog for walk and you know what you're <laughs> going to do with it. Um, no, you're the expert, you're the professional, um, regardless of what you're being told, you're taking it on as risk management. And if you do things like that, they will come back and they will bite you. I really like how you're saying that there's duties. You have duties regarding the policy. Yeah, um, not just the policy. There are, there are um, any type of repair, and I'm talking about repair now. We're talking about repair of an automobile. 
Uh, there's the duty of the repairer, us as the shop, to the customer to return that vehicle to its pre-nasty condition and into a safe um, condition. As a policyholder, you have duties that are outlined in that policy. Um, and unfortunately, the insurance company uh, strong arms, bullies, and manipulates not only the customer, but the <laughs> Tell shop. Tell us how you really feel, Richard. <laughs> Well, well, they do. Um, you've got just basic duties. Obviously, you've got to report the claim. You need to report the claim. And then you need to provide reasonable evidence of the damages that you are claiming. Okay. Estimate and photographs is the reasonable component there. How many estimates? Because here's what I'm seeing. And I've seen this in the automotive industry as well. And I'm seeing it with this. Mm -hmm. Insurance companies are saying, bring us three estimates. And I'm what I can read about like legally, and I'm not a lawyer there. You don't have to provide three estimates. That's kind of the insurance company's job to look around for, for good things. But I, again, not being an attorney, I don't, I don't know. Is that true that you don't have to spend all your time going around and getting three estimates? Uh, you, you know, you don't really need to be an attorney. Um, if it says in your policy that you need to provide multiple estimates, okay, you signed that contract. Now you need to provide multiple evidence. Um, other than that, there's nothing out there in the industry that I'm aware of across the country, whether it's in Department of Insurance or state statute legislation, that tells you need to provide more than reasonable evidence of damages claimed one estimate. You get one estimate of the shop that you believe is going to be your best bet for a quality repair. That's what you provide. And again, unless it's outlined in your policy that you need to provide more than one. Yeah. I, I saw a lot of chatter on the groups of you're doing the agent, you know, or the adjuster's job for them or the insurance company's job for them. It's not your responsibility to get them regardless of what they say. So what other duties uh, there's one more. When you think about a policyholder, a policyholder uh, that's operating a vehicle and through their actions, they create damages to another party, okay? Uh, Say that again? Yeah. Um, that again. <laughs> okay. I'm operating my vehicle and I do something that's um, that creates an accident, okay? And, and there are damages to another person and I'm at fault for this. My insurance company is now the tort feeser, so they're responsible for the other party's damages, okay? That other person doesn't have a policy with me. So where does that duty of providing reasonable evidence of damages come from? State statute. Every state has statutes that says... In the event you're claiming damages or harm, you need to provide reasonable evidence and support to the damages that are claimed. So you've got one in the policy, and you've got another one in your state statutes to go ahead and provide this information, which for the most part the shop does as a customer service, estimates and photographs of damages. Those are the two primary duties. Now, when the insurance company asks a shop because they believe the vehicle or even a property, the house is a total loss, and they ask the shop or the contractor to provide evidence to support a value that's nobody's duties but the insurance companies. And our shops provide it. They go out there. They take tire depth. They get oil impressions. They take photographs of the inside of a vehicle to help with conditioning reports. That's not the insured, the claimant, or the shop's duty. That's the duty of the insurance company. And that's what I talk about, manipulation and bullying us uh, to be able to do that damn job. And you have a little bit of inside track because you worked for one of the larger 
insurance companies. Uh, I did. I have to admit that. (laughs) You worked for the enemy at one time. Yeah. 22 years inside. That's what makes you so good at what you do. So I, so many shops take so much time taking pictures and doing all that, as you mentioned. So as a consumer, dang it, I just said so again. As a consumer, Richard, palm tree falls on my car, on my my palm tree on my car, and I have insurance. <laughs> what do I look for when I'm looking for a collision shop? How do I know it's the right one to go to? Yeah, it, every single collision shop it's had its little hiccups. So uh, research the online information, first of all. The customer feedback is the most important thing. How long has that shop been in business in your area? If it's a long-term shop, now I'm not taking shots at new businesses or people that come into the industry, but as a long-term shop, they're there long-term for a reason. So vetting them, doing some research, um, you know what? Maybe even a tour of the shop. Do they have the right equipment? How much do they sublet out? Which means how much is under their control versus not under the control. Um, uh, just try to get some background, some feedback on them. Um, That's a, I never thought about asking how much do you sublet out. Well, I mean, if you sublet out a walk out, a lot of the work out, Kim, let's face it, what are you doing with the work? Uh, you're putting it in somebody else's hand that I have not much control over. Um, sublet is part of what we do. It's part of our business. We do sublet out because we don't all have all of the things to do all of the time. Um, but that's a big piece. We'd be a big piece on my thought process is how much is this shop subletting out? Is it just an alignment? Is it the ADAS um, recalibrations? Is it framework? What What is going on there? How much they sublet out? And just research, just some research on them and social media is everything nowadays, Kim. What about, should you ask that you know, will you help me with my claim? Will you go to bat for me with the insurance company? Do you leave me on my own? Is there any questions like that people should be asking? Kim, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Once you go in to get your estimate, uh, find out what their scope is with you. What are they willing to do? Um, and how are they going to support you in this process? That's a great point, Kim. Good question. Thank you, Richard. So much to think about. And again, the time is now. Don't wait until a palm tree falls on your car or you hit a non-person animal or. (laughs) Oh, you could could be hitting some people animal tonight on Halloween. This is true. I, that just doesn't make any sense to me that if it's a person you hit, it's collision. If it's a big giant animal. It's comprehensive, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. So the thing is, if let's face it, uh, anytime you something's in your path, you're going to swerve anyway. Uh, so the bad, the, I mean, the, the negative connotation here is if if there's a dog in your way and you hit it, it's a comprehensive loss. But if you swerve it and hit something else, you got a collision at fault loss. So <gasps> just so just keep that in mind. I mean, okay. So do you know how much hate mail I'm going to get right now that you're like. <laughs> Hit the dog and save the claim or whatever. That's not Richard was just giving an example of how it works. He's we not never saying, get the chance to think that through. It's all reactionary, and the chances are ninety nine point nine percent you're going to swerve. Yes, Richard is not saying hit the dog. So no, don't, don't hit the dog. All you haters out there that like to get on the 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 uh, social media 
Just providing an example, everybody. That's all. <laughs> providing an example. Oh. <laughs> You're going to get me thrown off the air. Hit the dog. It's better for your <laughs> Hey, and we can't go in to, because we don't have enough time to go into all the duties that the insurance company has. To one of your earlier points, Kim, the, that one of their duties is to investigate the claim. Uh, not just the claim as a liability component, but the damages. It's their duty to investigate those damages. They impose our shop so much on providing photographs and estimate that uh, they actually have a duty to uh, access that vehicle and establish damages through their own analysis. So how about this? Why don't we do a part two to air for the next week of the rest of the duties? Would you be willing to do that? I'd, be, I'd love talking about duties. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm delighted that you would like to talk about that. So I really appreciate your time today. And this topic, we, we need to know as a, as a world more about the dang insurance, whether it's your car, your house, your boat, your bicycle, your guitar, your legs, people insure their legs. There are all kinds of things, but we need, we need to understand more about it. And I think this is with all of the YouTube certified experts in so many areas of life these days and people commenting on social media and Facebook and giving out their expertise of everything. And there, there seems to be a shortage even in those self-proclaimed experts, which just tells me that really people don't have a clue about insurance. They don't. And next time we can also touch a little bit, if you like, on warranty contracts. Oh boy. <gasps> that would be wonderful. So next week you'll be back with us and we'll do a part do. Yeah, part do. Part do. Merci. Okay. Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much for joining me today. And everybody, we will be back then next week for part due to this and to, to answer some more questions about all of these things that are probably keeping you up at night. Or the flip side of it is you never think about it for a second and then something happens and you have that, oh, you know what moment. So we want to we try to spare you from that. So everybody, we will be back next week. In the meantime, stay safe, make good choices and stay inspired. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane, your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can. 